Jesus, God, thank you for your word. Your word is life, and I pray that as we talk about uh, making a comeback this morning and the, and the comeback stories of the Bible, uh, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive faith, Lord, faith, so that we would have the courage to step out of the boat onto the water and uh, get moving and thrust into the purposes of God you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 11, verse 1, we're just going to go right into it. Uh, this is the story of Lazarus. Many of you know this story. This is not going to be a lot of news for you in terms of the story. But I want you to hear some of, you know, some of the kind of odd ends you might not always hear when examining this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to pick it up at verse 17. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus and Jesus were friends, good friends. Uh, Jesus was a normal person, uh, and he had friendships, and Lazarus was one of those good ones. They, they, they'd be the golfing buddies. Uh, they'd help each other out, you know, if they were moving or whatever. Jesus and Lazarus are, are friends, and uh, Lazarus is probably a contributor to Jesus' ministry, uh, very much so. But he got sick. Uh, he was from the village of Bethany, a couple miles out of Jerusalem, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Now, this was Martha and Mary, and John gives it there. This was the Mary who poured very expensive. We're talking a year's wage, right? Think about what you make in a year. It's that expensive, and she dumps it all over Jesus' feet, okay? And then begins to wipe and anoint them with her hair. Uh, you know, the disciples get in a big argument over this big fight. Judas is talking about money, as usual, you know, and how much they could have got for this. So, you know, there's all this thing. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, no, no, she has honored me because she is preparing me for my burial. So already you have a very special relationship between Mary and Jesus, Martha and Jesus, Lazarus and Jesus, and Lazarus is sick. So verse 17, they, or verse 3, they send word to Jesus and they tell him, the, war, the one you love is sick, come quickly. But he doesn't come quickly. In fact, in a time it takes for him to get there, Lazarus dies and has been dead in the tomb for four days. Why is that important? Because you really can't survive in a tomb for four days in case you weren't fully dead, right? People swooned in those days as they do in our day. And, and so, you know, after four days without water, without food, being stuck in a tomb, you die. And so Lazarus is really certifiably dead. And then verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem, verse 19, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So the funeral has already begun. People are already coming into town. Word is spread. Lazarus is dead. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. You ever catch that? What a powerful little thing, you know? 
Martha runs out to me, but Mary, the one who had anointed Jesus with that expensive perfume, that Mary that loved Jesus, that, that wanted to show Jesus the utmost respect, all of a sudden, Jesus is coming, and Mary's thinking, why bother? Jesus, you're too late. We needed you five days ago. Not now. You're too late, Jesus. We're in mourning. We're grieving. We lost our brother. He's gone. And where were you? We can have that a lot in our own lives. God, where were you a week ago when I really needed you? God, where were you when this went down? God, where were you when this was happening? Jesus starts walking up to our house. We stay home. Shut the door. Go find another house to sleep in, Jesus. Go find uh, another Jewish girl to make you some bread and fix you some drink. Because this house is closed. Mary stays in the home. But Martha, it's interesting about Martha, the first time that we meet Jesus and Martha, Mary is where? At the feet of Jesus. And Martha is where? In the kitchen, right? There's a real role reversal now. Now, Mary's the one who's stuck at home, and Martha's the one who runs out to meet Jesus. And this is what she says. She says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, it is so healthy and important for us to be real, for us to be real with God. God, I'm disappointed. God, I'm upset. If you had only been here, Jesus, if you had only done this. Jesus, if you had only done this. God, if you'd only done this. That is a good place and a healthy place to start. We have to acknowledge that. Lord, if you had only been here. But we can't forget the second part. The first part is healthy, to express our disappointment. The second part is to express our faith in God's ability to bring us a comeback. For Mary says... But I know that even now, but I know even now, God can still answer your prayers. But I know even now. Now, wait a minute. Lazarus is dead. I don't know if you've ever seen a dead person or not. I have. They're not there. That's a good thing to say when we say they're gone. They are gone. They are not there. Martha saw that. So what faith it must have took to say, Lord, if you'd only been here, but even now I know God can still hear your prayer. What is Martha hoping in? She's seen Jesus miraculously feed people. She's seen Jesus miraculously heal people. She's seen Jesus drive demons out of people. So she's wondering, hey, if he can do all that, Maybe the dude can raise the dead as well. Come on. Got to have some hope here, right? Martha has it, Mary doesn't. And so Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha goes, well, yeah, I mean, I know that at the last day, I mean, we all go to heaven, we're all going to rise. I I get that, you know. Eventually, sooner or later, we're all going to rise again. And you know what? That's such a common reaction for both of us, for all of us, you know. Uh, when someone gets sick, you know, your, your brother will be healed. Your sister will be healed. Well, yeah, I know if they die, they'll be healed. 
right? I mean, you can kind of understand where Martha's coming from. Yeah, 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 Jesus, I understand that we're all going to rise someday. But then Jesus says something a little more interesting. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he looks Mary right in the eyes. I can just see her grabbing her hands. And he says, Mary, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Mary? Do you really believe this? I know you just said, even now I know that God can answer your prayer. But I'll ask you one more time. Do you believe this? And then Jesus walks over to the tomb and does something incredible. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man who was certifiably dead is raised to life. They remove the grave clothes and he is alive. In fact, he is so alive that in the coming weeks, the Jewish authorities want to make him dead again because who was coming to the funeral? People from where? Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they see him alive again, and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. This really happened. And it's starting to spread all over Jerusalem that Jesus brought a dead man back to life. And if you can come back from the dead, I don't care what they say. You can come back from anything, right? As long as I'm alive, I have hope that anything can happen. When you die, you tend to lose that hope, right? Death is a little final. You know what Jesus is saying? Even if you die, that's not the last word when it comes to me. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, the world can say, well, your marriage, it's over. And Jesus says, (laughs) Lazarus. The world may say, your career is over. Jesus has a one-liner. He says, Lazarus. And why is that so important? Because if I can bring somebody back from the dead, I can fix your marriage. If I can bring somebody back from the dead, I can fix your job. If I can bring somebody back to the dead, I can guarantee you a powerful future. If I can bring somebody back to the dead, you know, your health isn't going to hinder you from what God. Now, I, I get it. At some point, we're all appointed to die. But what Jesus is trying to say here is, Rather than acting like Mary, feeling sorry for ourselves in the house, why don't we try to take on the role of Martha and have the kind of faith that says, but even now, God can still do the impossible. And it's the resurrection that puts the period at the end of that sentence. Now, let's face it. We all, we all kind of like comeback stories, right? David overcoming Goliath. Everybody loves that story. They're making a new TV show about it. I don't think it's going to be a lot about it, but I mean, it, it, it covers the story. Or, or, you know, one of my favorite NFL quarterbacks of all time is the quarterback from the 49ers, Joe Montana. Joe Montana. That's amen. Yeah, I knew I'd get something out of wing out of that. You know why I love Joe? What, what, what is Joe Montana called? The what? The comeback kid. 
I knew that, and I was not raised in California. Uh, come on now. No, okay. Um, he's called the comeback kid. You know why? He holds the record for the most fourth-quarter comebacks in NFL history. He has 31 fourth-quarter comebacks attributed to his name. People love a comeback. A few years ago, the magazine Sports Illustrated, they did an issue uh, I think it was the top 10 or the top 15 comebacks of all time. And, of course, they had uh, uh, the boxer, uh, ah, Rocky. Not Rocky. Rocky wasn't real. Um, <laughs> although, if you watch the movies enough, you actually think he is real. But uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, thank you. Muhammad Ali. And, uh, you know, they, they had a NASCAR guy in there. I can't remember who it was. Uh, and Andretti. Uh, and uh, a bunch of people. But... Do you know who their number one comeback athlete was? Anybody know that? They, they put this out in Sports Illustrated about 10 years ago. It was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. The editors and the writers of Sports Illustrated named Jesus the number one, number one comeback of all time. And I have the exact quote. They said this, Jesus Christ is number one because to this day, he continues to confound his critics and stun the authorities with none other than the resurrection. Powerful, huh? So my point this morning is that the resurrection promises us today four great comebacks that we can count on from the four different accounts of the gospel. And I'll go quickly with this, don't worry. The first comeback is this. From the book of Matthew, the resurrection says... I can come back from despair. I can come back from depression. I can come back from discouragement. It will not define you. In China, 6.5% of the population struggles with depression. Does that seem like a lot? Well, when you think there's a billion Chinese people, 6.5% is a lot of people, right? In Mexico, it's 8% of the population struggles with depression. In Germany, it's 10%. They tithe their population to depression, right? In, in some of you will get that. <laughs> in, in Belgium, Belgium, uh, where my grandfather got a purple heart, there are 14% of the population struggles with depression. The number two country in all the world to struggle with depression is who? The United States. 19% of the population of the United States of America currently struggles with depression. You know who's number one? Who's the number one depressed country in the world? Right? It's, It's Russia. No, it's not Russia. It's... You, no, it's not the U.S. You go, where's he go? It's France. <laughs> Eating too many French fries. You know, it's France. France at 21% of their population is currently uh, suffering from clinical depression. Now, you know what's very interesting? Two of the richest countries on earth, and yet they're struggling with depression. Two of the richest, you know, it just kind of goes to show maybe money can't buy you happiness. You know what I'm saying? What do you think is the angriest country on earth? 
It's not America. No, we're number two again. <laughs> there is a country angrier than the U.S. You know what it is? Syria. <laughs> that would be a good guess. Um, Korea. No, not Korea. Not Russia. No, no, no. You would never guess it because they look so happy. It's Great Britain. Great Britain. Is it Canada? I know. <laughs> do you think Canadians look that happy? No. They do look happy, you know. They got health care. So, you know. <clears throat> so if we're number two in depression and anger, how do you bounce back from that? I think if anything we've found out over the last 10 years, you can't count on the economy to bounce back from it, right? I think we're really learning. You can't count on the government to bounce back. How do you bounce back from that? Drugs. <laughs> Lots of drugs. <laughs> and other things that are only temporary band-aids. Let's look at what the Word of God says. Martha, I'm sorry, not Martha, Mary Magdalene, uh, it says here in Matthew 27, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, you know. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Uh, if I was like in the Bible, I wouldn't want to be the other Tom, you know. I would, you know, if I was, well, I would be because there's already a Thomas. So I would be the other Tom. But, but I wouldn't want to be, you know, this poor girl is remembered throughout history as the other Mary, you know. She's one of the others. And so, you know, they're sitting there at the tomb and I'm, I don't know about you, but when you get to the point in your life where you're visiting a cemetery staring at a gravestone, you're depressed. You're discouraged. You're demoralized, you know? I mean, you have had life's rug pulled out from under you, and it, life is hard. They probably cried their eyes out. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus in a way we can't right now. They held him. He held them. He fed them. They served him. They washed his feet. They, they, they loved this man, and he's dead. He's in the tomb. And so they're sitting there at the grave crying. So they wake up the next day, and when they say, well, what should we do today? Their big idea is, well, let's go back to the grave and cry some more. And so that's what they did. It says... In Matthew 28, verse 1, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went again to the tomb. And then there was a violent earthquake, and an angel came down and said, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. Now, here's the key. Listen to this. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified, he is not here. He is risen just as he said he would. That is an amazing promise. Jesus has risen just as he said he would. What is the key to getting out of depression, to getting out of despair, to get out of the discouragement is to begin to look at all of the promises of God and know that God is faithful to cause them to become true. That if God said, sometimes we got to remind God what he said. God, you said this. God, you said that. God, you said I know the future I have for you. A good future, one filled with hope. God, I want that promise. 
telling you right now, Mary and the other Mary, they probably went home that night and said, let's look at every promise that's in here because now we know God keeps his promises. And once you know God keeps his promises, do you know what the byproduct of that is? Hope. Hope. It's hope. We know that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how far away from God we feel, God can find us and turn all things around like that. I remember once I was in a super dark time in my life. And the pastor I was serving with looked looked at me and he said, Tom, it's taken you this long to get into that hole. God will take this long to get you out. And you know what? He was right. It was true. I I couldn't have believed it if it hadn't happened to me, but it did. God is a God of hope. And so we can come back from despair. The second thing, we can come back from defeat. Uh, There's an old story, uh, and I love this because it includes a pastor, although I would never do this, okay? So when I tell these stories and I say, Pastor, don't insert me into it. This isn't me. This is what pastors used to be like in like the 19th, 18th century, something like that. This, uh, there were these two rambunctious boys, and the whole town was struggling with them because they were troublemakers. And so the mo- the new, a new pastor comes into town, and the mom says, I'm going to send the boys to the pastor so that the pastor can straighten them out. I'm so glad that's not my job anymore, you know. So glad that has gone away. But uh, so, so she says, but I'm not going to send them both at the same time. I'm going to send one in, and I'll send the other. So she sends one in. The pastor has him sit in the chair right opposite his desk. And he walks over. And he goes like this, boy, where is God? Hallelujah. Boy, where is God? Well, that'd be kind of fun every now and then. I'd say, you know, getting caught up in the moment here. But the boy gets so scared. The boy gets so scared, he wets himself. And he runs home and hides in the closet shaking. The other brother comes in and says, what's the matter with you? What did the pastor say? He said, oh, boy, we're in trouble now. He said, why? He said, because God is missing, and they think we did it. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I think think the apostle Peter could have really identified with that sentiment. You know, Peter failed and fell hard, right? He was the one who said, Jesus, though all the other disciples leave you, I will never leave you. I will be crucified with you. And yet, before the night was over, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. The ultimate failure and betrayal. In fact, the last time they caught eyes. So Peter knew what, Jesus knew what Peter was doing, and Peter knew that Jesus knew. So you could imagine the resurrection was probably not immediately good news for Peter. And Jesus says in Mark 16, 7, but go and tell the disciples and Peter. He singles Peter out. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going ahead of you. What's Jesus saying? Peter, though you're broken, you're restored. 
Peter, though you failed, I'm going to lift you up. Peter, though you think you're a failure, you have a bright future. Probably the greatest defeat of Peter's life and the resurrection of Jesus turned it around into the greatest comeback the world has ever seen. There's a story I, I like because I like to play the piano. And this is a piano story. Have you ever heard the song Chopsticks? Obviously, I have. Um, so, so the story behind how that song came into be is really neat. There was a Polish piano player having a concert. And while they were waiting for him to come out, this mother had brought a small boy in. And the boy runs up to the stage and starts banging on this, this expensive concert piano. And one of the things he starts doing is, is actually playing that chopsticks thing. Do, 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 do. It's, it's, you know. Well, everybody's horrified. They're, they're, they're stunned. And all of a sudden, the concert pianist comes out and looks at the boy. And they think he's going to smack the boy upside the head and say, go sit down, I got a concert to do. But instead, he walks very slowly over to the boy. He looks down, sees what he's doing. And then comes around the boy and puts his hands on both sides and begins to play what we know as the duet part of the, of the Chopsticks song. And the boy says, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, it's okay, it's okay, keep playing. Keep playing, you're doing great. And so he keeps going, and the boy's getting very nervous. Don't stop, don't stop, you're doing great. The boy makes a few mistakes. Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. They're gonna hear me as well as they're gonna hear you. And this beautiful accompaniment was being surrounded by chopsticks. To this day, it is the only piano duet that requires the accompanying pianist to put their arms around the person in order to play it. And I submit to you that is a lot how God treats us. We're playing chopsticks and we hit the wrong notes. We don't even know how to play the piano. But around us are big arms that are playing a harmony and a melody we can only imagine. And that's exactly what God did with Peter. Peter, you're like a little boy that goes up there and bangs the piano, doesn't even know what he's doing or saying. But just keep going, keep playing, and I'll do the duet with you. Amen? That's bouncing back from a defeat. The third thing is you can come back from doubts. Luke put it this way. He says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Some of us are very skeptical people. You have doubts. In fact, as you're listening to me right now, you might be wondering, I, you know, sometimes, Tom, I just don't know about all this stuff. I mean, did Jesus really get crucified? Did he really rise? Did he really die? Did, did all this really happen? Let me tell you, in this church, there are former atheists, agnostics. I'm one of them. <laughs> There are people, I was one of those people that used to talk people out of being a Christian. And now look at me, you know? So, you know, that is part of what happened. We can have seasons where there's huge doubts. The disciples had them too. When Jesus first showed up to the disciples, it says they were terrified and they thought they saw a ghost. And here's the thing, you and I would have thought the same thing. Jesus knows this, and so he says, Bring me a piece of fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a ghost eat a piece of fish. He begins to eat it. 
And I'm sure they're probably looking at his stomach or trying to listen to the floor to see if it drops through. But it doesn't. They touch his hands, his wounds, and he's very much alive. But what's my point? Even the people who first saw Jesus risen from the dead had their doubts. Jesus can help us to overcome those doubts. And part of how he can help us overcome those doubts is actually through the Bible. I don't normally do this. I don't like to do it because I don't want to win arguments with people in order to persuade them to Christ. I think you have to have an encounter with the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and you just know Christ is real and it's all true. But for the sake of the message and for the sake of the season, let me give you one that that has come with training that you get with, with biblical training. And it's this. The Old Testament describes the crucifixion of Jesus at least 450 years before Jesus was ever born. If you look in Psalm 22 or in Isaiah 53, they have it very clear that Jesus was crucified and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. It's in there. Uh, at least 450 years before Christ was born, there was a community that wrote these scrolls. And when the Romans took over, at least 80 years before Jesus' birth, they hid them in a cave called the Qumran Caves. We know them today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. So here's what happened. As time went on and people looked at the Bible, atheists, philosophers like John Hume, uh, Voltaire, uh, a lot of these guys of the French Enlightenment, uh, even the German Enlightenment, they looked and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We keep thinking the Bible is miraculous. It's not miraculous. It was told as a story. These things were added later. These things were added after Jesus was born and raised because they couldn't deny that there was Roman historical documents testifying to the death of Jesus and his resurrection. They had those better than we have those because they were closer to the point of history. So, okay, so we can't refute the story, but we can refute the meaning. And so they look in the Bible and say, well, Isaiah wrote this. Isaiah wrote chapter 53 hundreds of years before Jesus was born. David wrote Psalm 22 hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Well, that, that would be a miracle. That's impossible. It must have been a later edition. Now, even the Jews didn't buy that. It was their scriptures they were messing with. But that is what people began to believe. If you were alive in the 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, and were not a part of the charismatic revival, you would have been part of a movement that was beginning to rethink scripture. Today, it's called the Jesus Seminar, where we begin to reinterpret the validity of the miracles of the Bible. And that was at its zenith at the end of World War II. Until something happened. A little boy took a stone, threw it up in a cave in the Qumran area of Israel. And he heard a pot break. He thought, that's interesting. So he hikes up, goes into the cave, and he sees several urns. And he looks inside of them, and he sees scrolls, old scrolls. He turns them into the authorities, and they become known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we know now for sure that these scrolls were written at least four centuries before Christ. Now, here's the big, here's the big thing. It would have been wonderful for all the skeptics 
if we compare those scrolls with the Bible and see error, error, right? That Isaiah 53 has nothing to do with the crucifixion of Jesus. That Psalm 22 has nothing to do with the crucifixion of Jesus. And here's the problem. They were in the hands of Jewish authorities. So Christians all around the world were nervous. Maybe it is going to say it, but the Jews are going to make up another story. After all, they, they did it the first time when Jesus rose. Maybe they'll do it again. And I will say this, ladies and gentlemen, to their credit, they did not. They opened the scrolls and compared them with the Hebrew Bible and a Christian Old Testament. And with 99.8% accuracy, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 were exactly as they were in our Bibles. What does that mean? Jesus' crucifixion was written in detail 450 years before it happened, before crucifixion even existed. For the skeptic, now you got to start working even harder and harder and harder until pretty soon you're just so stubborn, Jesus could walk up and slap you in your face and you just won't believe. That's what begins to happen once we go down that road of doubt. What Jesus offers us is himself resurrected. He says, I am alive. Do you believe that? And hopefully this morning, there's something welling up in your heart that goes, yeah, he is alive. And if he is alive, that is the point at which human history hinges on. Amen? Finally, last thing. Number four, Jesus says, we can come back from death. You know, it's funny. You can tell a lot about a person by what they say, their last words on their deathbed. Dwight Moody, who was a famous evangelist in the 19th century, he said, I see faces. I see their faces. And he was talking about two of his children who had died earlier in his life. As he was transitioning from this world to the next, he saw the faces of his children. And in his last breath, he said, oh, what a glorious day. Now, not everybody had that experience. Muhammad, who was the founder of Islam, he said, I do not know what Allah will do to me. Thomas Paine, a famous American atheist leader, said, I would give worlds if I had them. Oh, Christ, help me. Oh, Christ, help me. That was his last words. Voltaire, famous French Enlightenment philosopher, said, God, I will give you half of what I am worth if you just give me six more months to live. And his last words were incoherent mumbles asking Jesus to forgive him of his sins. Anton LaVey was the author of the Satanic Bible and a high priest in, in the Satanic religion dedicated to the worship of Satan. His very last words on his deathbed were this. Oh my, oh my, what have I done? Wait a minute, there's something very wrong. There's something very, very wrong. One of the Egyptian Coptic Christians 
a few months ago, I don't know if you remember, they lined them up on the beach, all in those orange robes, and cut their heads off. One of the executioners took a video of it, and it's since gone viral around the world. And uh, you can hear the man saying right before he dies, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus said, though we die, we will live. We can come back from despair. We can come back from defeat. We can come back from doubts. We can come back from death if we come back to the Lord and believe what he said. And so this morning, I'd like to celebrate that by making an invitation. The question and the invitation is very simple as this. Please bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. Let this be private between you and the Lord and to a degree me. Jesus said to Mary, after Mary said, even now I know God will hear your prayers. Jesus grabbed Mary's hands and said, Mary, do you believe? Do you believe? And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that's my question for you this morning. Do you really believe? Is it really in your heart? You know that Jesus is alive. That the Bible is trustworthy. That the word is true. That the skeptics are wrong. That it is true. It's all true. Everything you're wondering if it's true is true. Jesus did die on the cross for your sins. Jesus did rise. He was God's son. We may not understand every in and out of it, but it's true. Do you believe? Will you accept it for you to overcome the despair, the defeat, the doubts, and ultimately to overcome your own death? To die in the presence of Jesus and go to where Jesus went. Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team two, it's a private moment. And right now, if you'd like to say, you know what? I believe. I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose from the grave, that he is God's son and that he is my hope for everlasting life. Whether for the first time or whether you just want to rededicate that today. I'd like you to just look up and make eye contact with me. Amen. 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 Why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you gave it all for me. I receive your spirit and make you my Lord and my Savior in my heart and in my future. In Jesus' name, amen.